Epic Turn is a podcast about the hobby gaming industry, what we love or hate about it, how it's evolving and changing, and other things that as gamers we're passionate about. Your hosts are Brian McLemore and Tim Aldridge. Welcome as we take our next Epic Turn. So what's up, man? How's your week been? It's it's another week. You know, I've been doing a little bit of research as I usually do. I had a couple Kickstarters this week that, um, I mean, there's only one Kickstarter for me this week, but you know, hey. Um, oh, well, if there's only one Kickstarter, we need to know. I mean, it's Numenera 2, the electric boogaloo. But no, it's uh, it's Numenera 2. Money Cook is doing a, um, not a, not a redo of the rules, but definitely a um, enhancement of the rules. I mean, within its first two days, sorry, like four. Three hundred and thirty thousand dollars, or something ridiculous. Yeah, that just pulled up. It's three twenty-five, three seventy-six. Wow, man. Huh. I'm not going to say the amount I backed it for uh, this time. Let's see. I'm scrolling to the bottom of the list. Let's see. Was it the five thousand or more? They're all sold out. I assume that was you. That was not me. <laughs> not this time. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited. I'm a big fan of the Cipher system. I keep telling myself I'm actually going to run it instead of just playing in my head and or uh, talking to myself, but mm-hmm. the rules themselves are very great, so I'm looking forward to this enhancement. Plus, they just put up this whole leather-bound edition, and I was like, <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, Numenera's looked, always looked really interesting to me, right? I thought it was pretty cool concept. I like how it is very much, seems like a flavor-driven RPG. Oh, very much so. It's a very story-driven RPG. Yeah, because like, isn't even character creation all about telling a story with your character? Yes. It's I am blank who is blank that does blank, basically. Right. And my main exposure to it was I played some of the uh, Numenera Planescape. Well, not Planescape, but uh, Torment. Like, uh, re- the Planescape Torment remake that's set in... Not remake, but reboot, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, set- I mean, I wouldn't call it a reboot. It's It literally is a new game. It just takes place in the... Um, it, well, it's the same old game as like an isometric mm-hmm. story-driven game, but it takes place in the Numenero world. Right. And it's very much a spiritual successor, I guess you could say. Oh, very much so. If we're going to use uh, over-cliched terms, right? But it was very much that kind of successor to, you know, the the Planescape Torment from back in, what was that, 90s, late 90s, I think? Ooh. Yeah, that was during the like the era of like Baldur's Gate. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, being the, the Black Isle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> days so yeah probably around the 90s yeah i think it was late 90s and i mean don't be wrong i love that game i loved my little bit of time with this uh if anything it felt like there was even more reading uh than there was within my in my nostalgic recollections of planescape torment but that's a good thing in my opinion that's what i loved about planescape torment yeah i mean at the Compared time to, it was, like all the other ones yeah at the time planescape torment was just kind of like mind-blowing right because it was so much story so much writing i think it was mm-hmm. one of the first games maybe one of the few games still to have i think over a million words of uh text that you could mm-hmm. read in the game and numenera's torment definitely followed in those footsteps i think and like i said it felt like even a higher pace of reading compared to any other interactions I ended up uh, kind of wandering off and playing other games like I have a tendency to do. But um, <laughs> I spent 10, 12 hours, I think, playing it. I don't think I ever got out of the first town. I was just... Sounds like Planescape Torment. No, I definitely got out of the first town <laughs> of Torment. Yeah, I yeah, don't think yeah. I ever got I out of there because I was just going from NPC to NPC, running through all the chat options. Like, this is really cool. And I knew it was losing me, though, when I started skimming it just to try to get to what like the next plot point instead of reading all the rich lore. <laughs> It, but it was fun, and I love the little side quest in it and stuff, but the character creation 
really stood out to me as something really cool. And I and I get the feeling that was lifted directly from the pen and paper. Basically, I mean that was their that was their big goal with with play, with the Planescape spiritual successor making. But yeah, it's just it's just that's what Numenera is. Numenera is. I will say the one thing I love about it is it's very easy to pick up. I, I would actually love to do an episode on this, like a full like dive into it. But I'm gonna avoid that as much as I can. But it is so easy to run that I have watched people who have never jammed before mm-hmm. pick it up and just roll with it right out the gate, which I'm not saying that's hard to do, but that is that is a little abnormal, I should say. Maybe GMs are not normally good in a game. Well, not, not that they're not good. It's just more there's picking up rules, learning them having to keep flipping back inside the rule book even even like D starter said it was very well done and was very helpful of guiding new gms which props the wizards but numenera was this whole other thing that i remember watching when when it came out at gen con i still remember like walking up to the money cook booth and just watching him talk about it and then them do like quick little demos and you could see people just instantly picking up on everything that you were doing, like really quickly, like picking up the rules, picking up what you could do. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's actually super good. Then not only did they have a not only did they, it was an, an awesome system, mm-hmm. but then you turn around and you provide the the money cook way of things, which is super enriched story lore. I mean, the whole concept that you're in the ninth age, and so the you know, where you're at has been through, you know, eight different ages and you could discover things from any of the ages trapped in the ground, you know, the whole ciphers and all that. Mm-hmm. And, I and, mean, the, and, and all that. And by an age, like, or, or I, I got the feeling that they all ended with like, kind of like a, a big bang, you know, like the apocalypse or mm-hmm. the, the downfall of the major civilizations that live there. And yeah. And, and you, and you, you were just digging through their trash. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So what I liked about that is that you could pick up an item and the point of the GM is to not tell you what it does, but you know, if you're messing with it, or at least that's how, that's how I always interpret it is like, it's like you're messing with something and you know, they're like, well, what does it do? You're like, well, you think it could maybe heal your wounds or, you know, <laughs> or it's going to do this. And so you don't know. And that's, that's one thing, like at least everything again I've, I've done a lot more reading than i have been playing it but um and i've watched a lot of people play and, and at gen con i've like stood by tables and listened and you know that's that's the point is that you're supposed to come up with creative things like you're not like you're i shouldn't say you know there's not a right way or wrong way to run any system but the whole point is supposed to be very creative like you can come up with anything on the fly like you could have like a a nasa helmet for example like they find like a f- you know, first age like helmet from NASA and you're like, you think that it will shield you from the sun and then you put it on and nothing happens. Like that can be a thing. Or something bad happens or... You are now possessed by the ghost of Neil Armstrong. It's more of a mechanical representation of his, you know, stuff. We reconstructed him. So so that's the point, um, which I really like. I like that whole concept. I like that approach. And again, you get Monty Cook's writing, which has always been phenomenal. And it's just super, oh, I cannot even go on to how rich the lore is. It's so amazing. Mm-hmm. There was so many good, There's a, there was a podcast way back, way, way, way back, uh, called The Signal. And it was this random dude <clears throat> doing broadcasts around Numenera, right? The whole setting, right? Hmm. And it was three or four minute clips. I think the longest one was like eight or ten. And he would talk about the lore in a certain area. Like he, he, he was a character traveling and he's like, this is the signal. And he would tell you about like what is in this one town, like this NPC was doing something. He's like, don't get caught. 
And it was almost like being at that person's table. Mm-hmm. But what I found fascinating about it is I was actually reading the lore as these episodes were coming. I was like, oh, yeah, I read that last week. That's really interesting. Hmm. So the, the community around Cypher, because there's not just Numenera. There's also there's Numenera, the strange, which is I always call it sliders. Because okay. <laughs> it's the, the whole concept is you're able to go between these different settings, these is it, is planes, it, I guess. Is it alternate world type of stuff? Yes. Oh, it's fully alternate worlds, which I love. And like they're one of the best rule books they ever made was called the Encyclopedia of Wondrous Things, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, so, that's so just a bunch of ominous. It's awesome, actually. It's a really good... Uh, there are a few books that I buy for systems. Now, I will preface this. I own everything by Monty Cook uh, in terms of the Numenera stuff and the Strange and Cypher and all that. But there are a few books that I will use for other systems or mm-hmm. while I'm doing research. And the Cypher stuff, like his collection of wondrous items, is one of those books. Because it's just awesome stuff. It's kind of like um, back in when I was running EQ. So this would be early 2000s when I was running the EQ RPG. They had a book called uh, Alcabor's Tome. And it was just literally a book of magic items. That's all it was. Nothing else to it. But there was so much good content in it that I started taking those items and bringing them over to like my World of Darkness game and just modify it so it was modern or I'd take it off to D&D. And there's very few like really good supplements that can do that. Yeah. And the like I said, the one for The Strange is just so amazing just for that reason. Sorry, I'm, I'm totally gushing on Money Cook stuff. Oh, right no, it's awesome. I mean, it's fine. I, I've, I actually have some of the books that I picked up. Yeah, you picked up Cypher, didn't you? Yeah, I picked up some of it for sure. I, I don't remember exactly which books it is. Well, um, you actually, I, I do recall. Okay. Sorry, man, don't mean to don't mean to put you out there, but you uh, you backed the same one I did, which was the base Cypher one, where it gave you the dinosaur system. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Where there was called the Cypher, it was like the Cypher system ones, which was you could get the base copy of Cypher and then these three other uh, random settings they were working on. One was like dinosaurs and lasers another one was um like olympian gods and i forgot what the third one was but yeah you backed that along with me this actually does remind me of uh two different things okay so first one we're talking about you know new gms and stuff and you know how one one way you can tell if you have a new gm running like a D style system they don't own any dice uh that also would be a good tell um, <laughs> yeah uh, experience and experienced GMs always have a lot of dice uh, to share with everybody. Not necessarily. Just about. I actually. Just about. Well, no, I have a, one of my good GM buddies mm-hmm. has two two sets of dice. That's it. Two sets. That's it. So he doesn't bring two. dice for his players. He counts on all them to have them. Yes. Because yeah, every time I've seen most GMs, I've seen when they have a lot, it's like they have dice for all the people just in case they forgot it or they don't. You know, they don't have the right ones or whatever else. But mm-hmm. that's really neither here nor there. No, the one the, one of the ways I I knew. This was a long time ago. I had a friend who was running D&D for the first time. I think it was pretty much the first time at least. And he started off the first adventure. He introduced a deck of many things into the into the campaign. First 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 session. Oh boy. And that's that's when I knew it's like this is going to be fun for me because I was able to just we all pulled a card out of the deck cuz we were all like level 2 or 3 or something. Right. That should never have happened. No, no. Well, I mean, it, I mean, I, the, here's the thing. I don't want to say no because that's that is the whole point to running an RPG. Like there, 
even, you know, I've had some of the best GM sessions with newbie GMs. So when I was mm-hmm. with the Lakeland Roleplaying Guild, which I still am, I'm, I'm a satellite member. Uh, but so when, when I lived in, when I lived in Lakeland and was part, you know, actively there with the guild, we actually held what we called the Game Master series, essentially, which was those of us who have been jamming for years, mm-hmm. not going to say how many, but many, many years, would hold like little mini seminars, that, you know, would hold seminars to talk about random stuff that, you know, a lot of newbie GMs don't think about and or it's just, you know, tips and tricks. But at the end of the whole thing, we had them run a, an adventure with us, like, you know, fully homebrewed style adventure. And I'll tell you, I've had some of the best experiences with newbie GMs because they're just like, I'm just going to do it. Like, I want to run this. And that's and that's the key part, right? Like, it's like, I want to run this and I just want to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And that's how every good GM gets started, right? Yeah, we had the GM that we, we killed a couple things and he gave everybody vorpal sores and it turned into like a giant hack and slash, like fun adventure. And... At the end of it, I was like, you know what? Usually I'm very used to very intense, either story-driven GMs like my buddy Scott's because I love his games because he's, he's that story-driven style. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's very combat-focused in the sense of kind of like a like a Pathfinder Society or a D&D Encounter Society, you know, mission where it's like very mission-heavy. You're executing A, B, C, D. and But this one was just... It's been a while since I've been like, you know what? I'm just going to roll dice and have fun. It, it, it was like the old Hackmaster days. Yeah, that can definitely be fun. And the reason I'm calling out, I guess, my friend as a, you know, as a newbie GM mistake is because he did it solely because he thought it would be funny. And sometimes that can work out really well. But then I watched him kind of regret that power boost for the next mini sessions. Oh, okay. And so, you know, I guess you can, if you're doing it intentionally because you want to ramp something up or you want to have a certain flavor game, go for it. I mean, that's Hackmaster. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, you know, give everyone Vorpal Swords, throw the biggest Tarasks you can at them, have a blast, right? But in this case, he wanted to run, you know, a standard progression thing that ramped up, you know, as we played through the campaign you know, it kind of skipped that first steps, even though we were all low level still. We got some serious buffs. Nobody pulled a bad card. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we got some serious buffs, a lot of gold, a lot of loot, and some really cool magical items that realistically, for the power level he was going for, we shouldn't have gotten. So there was definitely a little bit of, of gotchas in that one. Okay. I mean, I can see that. I mean, even, you know, when <laughs> when I started GMing, I, uh, I did that maybe once or twice. And then had the, oops, your stuff got stolen uh, moment. But uh, <laughs> also a bad newbie mistake, by the way. I've given you something powerful. Now let me take it away. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that how uh, you know all GMs are? It's like the GM giveth and the GM taketh away. Yeah, but there's a... Sorry, your verbal sword you hit a rock and the tip broke off. It, it It's no good anymore. Sure. And I mean, that's there. there are moments like that and that can't happen. But generally speaking, if you put something so powerful in the player's hands and then take it away from them in like the next instant or the next session. Uh, that's, that's never a good, a good experience for anybody. I, I tend to, I tend to agree. I mean, but how would you, I guess the question is, so you give somebody, you give a party something that's too powerful. How would you say is a fair way to take, to, to take that back? Do you just ramp up the difficulty to kind of match the new power level? Or how would you actually try to like, you know, ra- uh, somehow take that item or take that bonus away without mm-hmm. it 
just making them demoralizing and kind of making them mad. Well, there's there's a couple ways. Um, there's there's always the diplomatic approach. Be like, hey guys, um, I didn't realize that's what that did, and I'm new. Is it okay if we retro this and we'll put a different item in your hand that's a little bit more like with what we're doing? Mm-hmm. That's always an option. Uh, my one of my good friends can attest to. Uh, letting me get away with some shenanigans and then seeing how bad that just railroaded his stuff. But um, <laughs> so there's that diplomatic way of doing it. Sorry, guy. You could go for yeah. You could go for the the ramp up, which you know that's that's usually the de facto standard, right? Mm-hmm. Is I'm just going to throw meaner things at you. But then at that point, usually you're going to be giving everybody just a really big amount of loot, right? Just just because, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a snowballing problem, right? Yeah, that's definitely a snowballing problem. Um, the, I mean, I've rarely ever like stripped a player of an item just because I don't like that. I don't like the I'm taking it away from you by force. Like a thief has come in the middle of the night and now your plus five orbital sword is gone. Too bad. Because uh, in those cases, it's like if someone stole your plus five orbital sword, trust me, someone's going to know that other individual has it. Even the Thieves' Guild is going to be like, okay, dude, seriously, where did you get that? Um, someone's going to come looking for it. Yeah, word's going to get around. You know, these small towns don't have too many high-end fences, right? There's only 75 people here. Come on. Yeah, and so, I mean, that... and <laughs> Yeah, maybe 100. And, uh, that, I mean, that can lead to, a, like, some fun role-playing or the party just destroying a town. Um, but but usually I've been able to, in, in, at least in my my gaming groups is I've been able to say, Hey, I made a mistake. I, I didn't mean for this to happen or, Hey, can we turn that plus five Vorpal into a plus three keen or something like that? Something that's not taking it away, but checking its power level. Mm -hmm. Um, there are very few times where I've had players be like, no, you gave it to us. Yeah. I mean, well, that sounds like you've been fortunate and have some good groups. We all know those, not every group is, is that good. And even and even that kind of diplomatic, like, hey guys, I I messed up. Some GMs don't have uh, the hum- don't want to admit that. I've seen, uh, sure. And some and some players won't be willing to accept it. So, I guess you know it is hard to take it away without feeling like it's forced, right? You know. But you can also make it a story. Like if you're gonna if you are gonna take it away, at least make it a story so there's a chance it can come back and or make that like the thing. Like someone has the Holy Avenger, right? Right. Like make that the adventure. Like the the necromancers have stolen the Holy Avenger. They're gonna corrupt it, and you have to go save it before it's too late, kind of thing. Yeah, and then they, by the end of the adventure, maybe they're the same level, or maybe they've caught up to where you know having one player with a powerful item doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Then then it's a completely different thing because now you're telling the player like, look, they're gonna corrupt that thing, and it's gonna get really bad for you. And then you can always have that epic showdown, right? Where they're facing down the like the lich that's holding the holy avenger is now corrupted, mm-hmm. and it's a big old battle back for it. And then, then, then if they're still not power level, you can be like, now you have to cleanse it. Yeah, it's 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 not safe to use. Yeah, no, that that I, I like that though, right? You're turning this like, oops, I messed up moment into now I have a story arc for the next six weeks. <laughs> you hope, <laughs> <laughs> or they or they ignore it and then problem solved, right? Well, that's problem solved. Or it's like everybody rolled a crit, mm. and now we have it back. Like, okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah, that would Fine. never happen. Nope, that's never happened no, ever. No. If you, I'm sure you've seen it. You've seen that meme where it's like the 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 big the big warrior fighting off against the orc warrior, 
Mm-hmm. And then like he fumbles and you know, it rolls a crow. Oh yeah, the hug. Yeah, he's like he ends up hugging him. And then, and then, it, and then, like another crit, you know, another crit fail. And he's like, and then they end up like, you know, holding each other and stuff. Yeah. And the last panel is mom, dad, meet Gortok. Yeah. Enslaver, enslaver of all the the southern plains. Yeah, but there's like a little catch. There's like several, uh, several critical fault roles and some role playing later. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely ways to solve um, the power creep and. I just, uh, I don't know. The one I always say no to, the two that, well, the two I always say no to is stealing an item just leads to just disgruntled players, and I'm not a fan of that. And I'm really, like, against power ramp. Power ramp just gets out of hand. The next thing you know, everybody's level 14, and you're sending them through the planar levels like that. At that point, it's like this game got out of hand real quick. Oh, yeah. Super quick. Don't get me wrong. I love playing 10-plus level characters, but you have to have a GM who can handle that level of power in a game, right? Because the the big bad just has to be that much badder, right? It can't just be the regional orc chieftain or something, right, that you're going off against. It has to be a world-shaking level disaster you're trying to advert. And you have to be throwing around thousands of gold and buying tens of thousands of you know worth of uh, magical gear and, you know, equipment. And, and just the once you hit that 6th, 7th level spell slots and stuff, like everything just gets so cool but also really hard to control and manage and, and have any sense of direction to some degree. So I've seen that get out of hand for some GMs too, where don't get me wrong, we still had fun, but you know, the, the, the players were kind of railroading over the GMs. Oh yeah. I love, I love those games and I hate those games at the same time as a GM. I, I prefer to be on the player side myself. <laughs> those. Well, the, the funny thing is, is, well, uh, yeah, on the player side, it's always a good time. But mm-hmm. as a GM, uh, there's nothing, as I guess as uh, my brother Josh would say, nothing tests you more than having to deal with uh, a railroad, essentially. Because it, it, I can see his point where it makes you think on your feet a lot more. Right. Because you're like, oh, oh, they have something that's really powerful or they have a really powerful character. We were playing World of Darkness. Where the power level is already kind of ridiculous to begin with. You're, you're a level one World of Darkness character, you're still OP. Okay, got it. Yeah, but we were playing Hunter, new Hunter, uh, so second edition Hunter, and that's not really super OP because it's meant to be, you know, you're the Scoobies going around stopping the vampire or a vampire or maybe a couple of vampires uh, in your city, right? And one thing led to another, <laughs> then led to some more things, and suddenly I was a mage because it made right. sense story wise. Because that's kind not that's not what we were building to, like with the character. Like that's not what Josh and I had discussed, but that's what happened. And the next thing you know is I come back to life as a mage because there's well I didn't come back I didn't technically die, but that's not the point. Um, okay. <laughs> It's not the point at all, but basically I come back to life essentially as a mage and I just, I just won the fight because it was vampires against a, a forces, um, was it forces and, uh, oh. energy probably. Yeah. Something like that. Mage. Did you cast fireball? Yeah, basically. Forces and, and energy. Yeah. It's not energy. It's something else. It's forces and prime, I think is what it's called in second edition. Yeah, I only played first edition mage, so. But basically, yeah, I could I I could control all the elements and no, not just the good mage. But anyway, <laughs> um, I know what you're going with there. But basically, I won the fight in one hand, and then 
you know, he had to be on his toes because it was like, oh, we suddenly have a bunch of human people and a mage. Uh, <laughs> um, these adventures are one-sided real fast. Yeah, I mean, mages are arguably the most powerful type of character in World of Darkness. Or at least they can be. They can. There's there's some other really... Each one has its its benefits. Not benefits, mm-hmm. but each one has its own brokenness to it. Oh, definitely. And, and that's why World of Darkness is fun, is because you're inherently this overpowered, broken character, but so is all the other players, and so are most of the bad guys. Pretty much all the bad guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's that's what makes World of Darkness fun. I mean, what was it? One of the one of the weirdest World of Darkness sets games I ever played was uh, Exalted, which was a lot of fun. But at high levels, you could like lift a mountain or something. I don't know. It was really weird. But yeah, you were basically playing like a demigod, like straight up demigod. Well, that's the whole point of Exalted, though. That's what you're supposed to be playing. Like there, I mean, when your first image like of martial arts is punching a river. And it's just parts the river. Yeah, that's the type of game you're playing when you play Exalted. Yeah, it's over the top anime like content, basically. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of fun. But that one is even so overpowered. I don't know. It's pretty rare to see Exalted interact with any of the other ones just because everyone needs to be Exalted or it's broken. But you're going to be fighting against armies, just the three of you kind of thing. Yeah, that's definitely the point. It's just like, uh, what did they do? It was called Scion, was it? Scion was there. You are a demigod, and then you become a... No, you start off as a hero that becomes a demigod, then god, and then Ragnarok happens. It's fine. Just a normal Thursday. Yeah, just, it's just, you know, it's getting ready for the weekend. A little, little Ragnarok on Friday. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well... Ex- Rock on, man! <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> me too bro yeah but uh yeah well exalted was never meant to mix with world of darkness it was always its own setting so yeah but it technically it was world of darkness it was set in the long long ago uh was was at least in the original rule book that was the that was the context um i remember because I, I got the first edition like collector's edition around here somewhere yeah so it was definitely in world of darkness but it was just in the long long ago when things were much different was basically the way it was pitched and um hmm. yeah that's way different than second and third edition <laughs> go figure right they i still don't like what they did with mage in second edition but never mind that's a different episode yeah we should have a whole episode about retcons anyway oh, uh, okay yeah let's let's do that episode <laughs> yeah that'll be great yeah 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 it's like world's worst retcons mage second edition so yeah, that was definitely an amazing setting, though, as a whole, just because of the way that, with at least all the other ones, the way they interacted. And you could play something that was like all mage or all vampire, but you could also have werewolves, vampires, and mages all in the same game, and watching the interactions, especially if you had some good role players, was really awesome. I still miss playing World of Darkness. I'd love to play another another game of that sometime. I, I concur. And now that second edition is almost it. I'm waiting for one more book of second edition before I want to run it again, which is uh, Changeling. Once Changeling's out, I will be happy to run WOD again since I really love Changeling as a setting. Well, second edition Changeling as a setting. So are we going to do the thing you, you, you we started doing last time where we get a bunch of people and they're all humans at the start and then stuff will happen as it uh-huh. happens? Yeah, yeah. That's how I like yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had fun with it, even if you guys make fun of me for me being in character to this day. Brian takes a walk in the park, everyone. Takes a walk in the park. 
it was in character. I had no ulterior motives, and you guys have tr- been accusing me of like min maxing by doing so for years now. And then the abdominal so man showed up and ate Brian. That didn't actually happen, but that would have been cool. We talked about it. It was actually one of those things where I was seriously talking about it with uh, so Josh and I. Like, <laughs> so Josh run used to run a World of Darkness game, and we traded characters, so to speak. Like, so my. So one of the characters from his game is a character that was in my game, which was uh, Charles Frost. And then there was Magus, which is his character. And so what we were doing was passing notes between each other. Hey, where is Frost right now? And I'd be like, he's here, probably doing this, based on this, doing that. And I was like, what's Magus? And he's like, oh, Magus is probably doing this, this, and this. I was like, all right, cool. Uh, So what are your thoughts about Abominable Snowman suddenly showing up in in Alabama and he went, excuse me, what? I was like, I just want him to eat a dude in a park that's walking around. He's like, I mean, I mean, seem, seems fine. <laughs> like, okay. Unfortunately, we, <laughs> I would have been fine with that. I mean, it no, just that's never happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. That, that campaign kind of fell apart when we lost some players and sadly, yeah, that happens. Unfortunately, Yeah, it does. Always time for the next one. Yep. So I still enjoy like WOD on such a, it's, it's one of the few RPGs there's, okay, so there are three RPGs that will always be that if given an opportunity to run it with a good group, I will always run it. And WOD is always goes between the first and second position. Usually it's the first position. Okay. Well, what's the other one? <laughs> the other one is uh, fourth edition L5R just because I love the, the lethality of the system it is not meant to be played as a traditional fantasy role-playing game or just a traditional role-playing game where, you know, I have hit points and I have armor. It's more, you drew your sword, you're probably going to die. So it, it puts the emphasis on, like, the social interactions and all that kind of stuff. Well, kind of. It's more that it's not just social interaction, but if you're going to get into combat, make sure that's what you really want to do and not mm-hmm. just, like, I draw my sword and I charge. Like, uh, there's probably an archer somewhere. So not Hackmaster 5000? No, it's not Hackmaster 5000 okay. um, at all. And then the, and then the <laughs> third one, and this is one that I've, I've yet to run the new edition, and it really makes me sad because I have all the books, is Shadowrun. I love me some Shadowrun. The problem is is that as you, because we're programmers... Right, both of us. It's really hard to convince other programmers to play Shadowrun. Like, all right, guys, we're gonna play some cyberpunk today with elves. And it was like, too close to home, man. Way too close to home. <laughs> Shadowrun's one I've always loved the lore that I've been exposed to, but I've never gotten too far into it. Like, I'd actually love to try the LCG just because I think it's neat. The LCG? Are you talking about Netrunner? Yeah, Netrunner. Yeah. They always feel so same. You're right. Yeah, they, well, they aren't though. Well, no, Netrunner is traditional cyberpunk, while Shadowrun is straight up fantasy cyberpunk. Like, right? Yeah, I know. I played the. Do you remember the first person shooter that was uh, Shadowrun? Ooh, yes, the really bad one from Microsoft Studios back in the day. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. I actually thought it was fun to play, but it didn't have a lot of depth to it. It was. Definitely, you know, I played it like pretty hardcore. This was like 2007, I think. Yep. I played it pretty hardcore for like two weeks. Oh. And then I was like, okay, that was a lot of fun, but uh, it's it's the same thing over and over again now, and I'm done. Well, that's why you should go play Shadowrun Legends or whatever it is, the PC title, because that was amazing. I've seen that on Steam. I just have, I think I even, it may even be in my library, but I haven't had time. Yeah. That one is like true Shadowrun down to its core. It's, I, 
think it's based on fourth edition, not fifth. I'll have to go back and look, but um, I really enjoy. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I remember playing Shadowrun when it was on the Super Nintendo. That was my first exposure to Shadowrun. Was the Super Nintendo game, and it was <laughs> weird because I was like, "What is Shadowrun? It has this." ram's horn you know ram skull on it i was like this can yeah. be awesome and it talks about cyberpunk and and then you're like i love the internet i hope it's just like this <laughs> oh wait what? no i don't because that was still in the <laughs> dialing into aol no that's not my idea of a good time but but yeah i mean like shadow runs the other one those are those are the three that are like if it's there i'm running it if i can get a group okay eventually i want to add numenera to that list it's one of those things where need to play it a few times right no, not just played a few times. That one, I want a... Honestly, for that one, I want a group of storytellers because mm. that is something I think would be hilarious. It's, it's the reason... It'd be like L5R. L5R is really good even if you have a bunch of people who enjoy combat or you like min-maxing. Like, you can still have a lot of fun as those, but L5R is really much about, like, story. And the same thing is... I, I mean, you can you can run, like, a very, like min max kind of thing with Numenera I think but but you know me I like storytelling I love character development I love just like that aspect of the role playing genre so I would like to do that with L5R but we'll see we'll see but WOD is definitely like higher on that list right now because I want to run the new second edition rule set well the sorry the I'll, I'll, I'll see you Friday night man let's do it <laughs> nice the second edition of the new world of darkness so technically the third edition technically Technically, technically, yeah. It's just an enhancement to the rules. I, I just hate being an adult with responsibilities because it's so hard to get a good group together or any group together for, for RPGs. Yeah, I think that's a whole episode about gaming as an adult. Hmm. Yeah, that make, make a decent topic, I think. Or at least a decent segment, yeah. You know. And we have gaming as an adult tip number five, bring the snack tray. No. <laughs> Here's the difference between gaming as a kid and gaming as an adult. Is gaming as a kid was like, Mom, can we order pizza? Gaming as an adult, did you guys bring the veggie tray? I, got, I, I can't have all those carbs. Did you bring the veggie tray? I'm, mm. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, but that's... No, no, you're not. Yeah. I mean, no, that's... No, I mean, I'm saying it's like, that's what it feels like. Like, when we, when we were kids playing, I remember when we used... It's all about Skittles and pizza, right? No, it wasn't Skittles. It was definitely pizza, but I remember... Man, this might... Okay, we're going to have to cut it short. We're already past 30 minutes, so... But when I was a kid, on when we used to play like D and D second, and you know people would come over to my house, it'd be because we'd leave from leave from school on Friday. People come to my house, and we'd start D and D around say the time we got off the bus and everything is probably like three thirty four. And you know, mom, mom, come home, and you're like, I was like, mom, can we can we have pizza? And there'd be pizza, soda. Um, I think at that time. I think some of the pizza places just started doing like the dessert stuff, like the cookies that you get with it or the brownies or whatever. And I remember like, that was it. That's what you ate. And then, you know, my mom was like, Oh, there's now bags of chips in the closet. Like, Oh, Oh snap. We got chips. Okay. (laughs) And you know, that's what it was like. And now, now it's like, and as an adult, it's like, okay, we're going to go and order some pizza. Uh, I, I bought a six pack or, you know, whatever. And then it turns into everybody only eats like one slice of pizza, maybe a beer. And it's like, oh, we'll just take the rest home for leftovers. 
because, you know, we're all watching our diets and or cholesterol and or, I mean, you know what I mean? So it's, it's funny to watch that transition of what, uh, how gaming used to be when you're younger to gaming as an adult. No, no, it really is. And, and like I said, we could have a recurring five minutes here and there or even a whole show probably about some of this stuff. But I just hate how hard it is to get a, like any kind of RPG group together because getting someone to commit every week or every other week uh, for six to you know, six hours or so, it's, it's really hard. It is. It is. It's super hard. I mean, I, I think I can make time for it, but even, even making it a priority, it's still hard. Well, it's it's not only that, but I think it's also so we used to do it on Monday nights for four hours, and like it was like we we get over to Mickey's around six six thirty. We leave about ten ish, right? So we'd have a good four hour session, and that and that's not including you know smoke break or bathroom break. So probably like three and a half hours, but you know that's that's how long our sessions would be. And we we were playing uh, Delta Green, and but the problem is after that four hours, and you stop, you're like, oh man really want to keep going i really want to and everybody's like yeah so do we but uh, we have work yeah and that's i I think that's the hardest part right it's like and four hours just really isn't enough it's like that's when it gets good yeah that's that's when like you're in the thick of things and we're gonna pause in the boss fight because uh i have to be at work at six (laughs) sorry (laughs) yeah that's i think that's just how it is now right like you you grow up you get responsibilities there's a lot more going on in some ways i mean it's, it's a thing right yeah. And it's just one of those things where we have to deal and adapt. We do that right now by playing more board games than RPGs. Because with board games, you can get by with two or three hours. Unless you're playing a full game of Spartacus. Then you need a then you need you know coffee and eight hours and, and maybe a <laughs> shot of adrenaline by the end of it. But, uh, We're playing a full it, game of Power Grid with six people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, so I do have some reports back from the front on board game night. Because you weren't able to make it out. Yeah. We tried playing too many bones again. Wait, is that good or bad? Uh, well, so, you know, we talked about it last week, right? And how yeah. it was a... Uh, it, it seemed like it was a good game. It had some problems related to rule clarifications or how easy the rules were to pick up. Mm-hmm. And that game dragged on a long time. I think we played five plus hours. Uh, yeah, I think... Yeah, about five hours, I think, is yeah. when we finally... I was like, okay... <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was a little over five hours of actual gameplay time, but I figured out some stuff in the in this thing. So this was a smaller game. It was a two player game that we did. It lasted a little over ninety minutes. Hmm, that's completely different than very very different. So the fact we had four players was a factor, right? Because there's just more turns to take. But I think even a four player game, the same one we did, we probably could have kept it under two and a half hours. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So it, so it does improve after a couple of plays. Yeah, and I think the third game play we can actually get even tighter down mm-hmm. um, because there were some rules we were doing wrong in the first game through because, again, the rule book has its shortcomings. And then there were, you know, we also got very unlucky in some degrees in the pulls that we did with the encounters and stuff because it is random you build a random encounter deck at the start of the game hmm. and so we definitely had some bad luck with the order of the encounters and everything like the first actual like encounter we had in our game tim was the tyrant encounter which is one of the <laughs> hardest encounters you can do in, in in the deck we didn't have that happen this time in fact we never even hit a tyrant encounter so it was a very very different game we also didn't have that weird 
uh, side game mini quest thing that we had during our our our, our game that hmm. didn't show up at all. And so and we, so we, it was a much more natural progression. This isn't to say we didn't lose an encounter. We we totally did, but it was a very very different game. Interesting. I'm hmm. Okay. Well, then I am definitely interested in playing it again. I mean, I was already, but. I mean, there was that moment of, mm, I don't think I want to sit for another five hours. Right. I, I think even on a four-player game, we can play one of these medium-ish level bosses. You know, like I said, two to three hours on a four-player game. If it's just like me and you, I'm pretty sure me and you could burn through it in like 90 minutes or less. Well, that's because we we do the whole, and I hate saying it, but we quarterback each other. Be like, okay, we're going to do this, 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 or you're going to do this, this, or this, and execute and done. Yeah, but it's... When we're doing it, just me and you, it we're not really coaching. We're just talking out the decisions we're making, right? So it's it's not quite quarterbacking in the same way that it's an unsure. It's not a neg- unsure with actually the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that maybe I, I know where you're coming from, but I think it's a different thing. It is, it is. But it sometimes you know, if, we'll it, feel like it. Be like, okay, seriously, listen, trust me, just do this, this, and this. Yeah, but if I think you're wrong, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway, and, so, and same for you. So. That's why it's not quite quarterbacking, right? I'm just you, neither of us were going to steamroll the other to do what the other says. So. True, true. That that is fair. Yeah, but no, uh, I do think it's a good game. I can say too, I played a different character this time. So different of an experience playing a different character. So you actually, it's it's effectively a different game for me between playing the you know the bomb maker versus the treasure hunter. Like the play style is completely different. What I was trying to do was different. So in that way, I think there's a lot of depth and replayability hmm. that you just don't see with some games. And, and much like a D&D campaign, because keep in mind, I think this is really an RPG consistent to a board game. Much like the D&D campaigns we were talking about, power ramp is totally a thing. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point in that game. We saw it with, we saw it with, uh, with Blake's character. Yeah, but I don't think that would have happened as quickly if we had been playing it, playing it closer to the right rules. Um, okay. So he got a combination of lucky, and we were misplaying a few things. But that's not his fault. You know, he was just doing what we thought was right at the time. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, uh, the kind of the impact here though is that if you want, you pick the boss that you're going up against based mm-hmm. on the length of game you want. Yep. So if you want a high powered game, it's going to take probably four hours, even for a two or three player game. Huh. But you could, you know, it's like playing, but you'd be playing effectively like a level 15 D&D character by the end of it. Yeah. Compared to, I, I was probably equivalent to like a level six or seven D&D character is the way it felt. Lots of stuff that my character could do. I didn't have most of it unlocked, but what I could do was really cool. So it felt in that, you know, mage casting fireball for the first time kind of kind of power level. Hmm. Interesting. But I could totally see like if I'd be able to play and ramp up like, this could have been a pretty freaking, you know, you know, BA character or whatever. So it's very, very different. Interesting. Yeah. I'll, okay. So yeah, definitely we'll try it again. See if it's um, good or bad. But I will say right now that I don't think you can change my mind about the rule book. Just saying. I, I think the rule book is not, it's not the worst rule book I've read. Not by a long shot. And it has most of the information that you're looking for actually in there. The problem is finding it is really hard. I actually think there's like some simple typography changes they can make in certain places to make it much more usable because they actually have like an index in the back of it. But you'll read, you'll, you'll look at the page and you can't find where they're talking about that, that keyword. If they just bolded and made the keywords more, more like scannable and more recognizable, mm-hmm. 
like that by itself, I think would improve the quality of the rule book, you know, 10 X just by doing that. Don't get me wrong. There, there are some, uh, there are some spots in there where they don't explicitly state in clear language, how the rules should work with some of the iconography. But once you, once you dig into it and you play a few times, you're like, this is the only way this actually makes sense. And then it, it clicks. You know, biggest one about that is in the rule book, it kind of read that the, uh, one, a big example of that. So the rule book, it kind of read that you had this whole thing where you had to, you had to have X number of progress points. And if you had too many progress points, you failed. Right. Right. That's wrong. Oh, well, that's nice. So you have to have X number of progress points in order to challenge the tyrant. Hmm. That, that is true. The first part of that's true. The bottom part is though, is that is the day counter. And if you hit that day at the end of that day, the tyrant wins. Okay. So I was, I was right about the timer situation because it didn't make sense the other way. So yeah, I don't know if you ever said it exactly that way. You may have been thinking it or something, but no, no, I had said that we have until the day. If we go past the day is done. Yeah. And, and that was, that was actually right. That's the only way that makes sense after playing it a second time. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause now that, you just take forever. <laughs> it's day 50 he's already murdered all the town oh it's okay let's go let's go defeat him now it's fine it's yeah fine. also like in the second fight we didn't go against nam so mm-hmm. nam has an extremely specific creature blend that mm-hmm. you know you know how it seemed like really weird there's like two 20s and there <laughs> was like a lot of ones and not in kind of a medium number fives yeah yeah so in this game there was like seven 20s Oof. in the pool and then not a lot of ones and not a lot of fives. Oh wow Interesting. And so, you know, we almost burned through the ones in the fives, huh. uh, you know, because we, uh, you know, we, we did that. We would, we never, I don't even know if we ever even touched the twenties though, because being a two player game, you don't hit twenties as often. And we didn't have all those encounters that are like add 30 points. You <laughs> yeah, know, those were BS straight up BS. I think we had a 20 hit one time and that was maybe the one encounter we lost. Cause we, we lost the second to last encounter we did. Hmm. Okay. So we lost the encounter, and then we, we we succeeded on the next encounter, and that hit us to the correct number of victory points, and we're like, you know, we're at 90-ish minutes. Let's go do it, you know, do or die kind of thing. And we went against the boss, and it, honestly, the, the, the big bad battle for us wasn't too bad. Hmm. Um, it scaled based on the number of players, so, you know, we had the lower scale. And it wasn't too bad. We were able to wear him down in, like, four rounds of combat. That's and, not too bad, then. Yeah, and... I think if I remember right, either one of us was almost dead. So it was a, it was a decent fight. Okay. So it actually was a good fight then. That's, that's, that's what I care about. So yeah, it wasn't weird steamrolly brokenness and it wasn't one-sided getting, you know, you know, getting stomped on. So it was, it was good. So I, I think I definitely recommend a, another playthrough for sure. So we'll, we'll table that for now and we'll report back later. So the other thing, and this was also dovetailing off our earlier discussion, which is why I think it's good for us to include here. So we were talking about Numenera, right? Right. And so Numenera is an example of me doing this to some degree, but there was a Reddit blog type post uh, not too long ago. And the guy was talking about how he has a Kickstarter problem. Kickstarter problem? What's the, what do you mean by Kickstarter problem? That he has backed... 200 and something projects over two and a half years racked up, you know, 17 to 20 grand or something like that. And, and spend is what he figured out over that two and a half years. 
But he, I mean, that, but he must be backing out absurd levels to do that. Like, I know how right. many projects I have backed, Brian, and I've not hit that amount. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I've backed a lot, too. I mean, he must have been backing, like, pretty high average prices. And not only that, but he said that didn't include any of the add-ons that he picked up because he wasn't sure how much those cost. Oh, no. And so, so he had a lot of add-ons and everything else. So, I mean, I think there, I think we could have a psychologist on to, like, you know, talk to us about the mentality of this, but it does bring up some, uh, you know, regardless of anything like that, I assume, you know, he's a, you know, successful, well-off, whatever, and he, and it's not financial, hopefully struggle for him. But what he figured out though, is it was just a big waste of money for him because he wasn't playing most of these games. And he ended up with this whole situation where he was buying tons of stuff, never playing them or the ones he did play only got, only got to see a few play a few times and most of the ones there was out of like 200 projects or whatever that he backed, there was only, you know, 20 or something that got anything looking like regular play and like only a handful that got serious regular play. Wow. And that's not good. Yeah, but it's not good. But I think that's also he was pointing at Kickstarter as being a problem. Uh, I would not say that's a Kickstarter problem. <laughs> and, and that's what I'm kind of thinking, too. It's like, you know, it. It is something to keep in mind when you're on Kickstarter is like there is a this interesting psychological thing I've noticed myself about like a little bit of fear of missing out and, you know, the, the whole FOMO thing. Right. And then a little bit of this like compulsive, I got to get the best one with all the stuff, you know, and things like that. And sometimes it's well worth it and you're doing it because you love the game or you love the creator or whatever else. Like, you know, anything by anything about Sentinels of the Multiverse, the card game, I've backed at the highest levels I could after I got into the game because I love the game and I love what they made and I want all the stuff, right? But, that, I'm that way with Monty Cook stuff. That's just because I right. really like their, their stuff. That's why. <laughs> like, it's all good stuff. And while I really think that Numenera was a great thing, I probably overbacked that one you know, for my personal use. But yeah, I think that's, I think he, he does bring something that we should all be aware about that we're on there. Like, it's not just a game that you got to win. eBay is kind of has the same thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to spend a maximum of $20 on this. You get the instant you've been overbid notification. You're like, mm, okay, 25, you know? And so it's, <laughs> it's that same kind of mentality problem. It's a weird psychological thing. It pro that probably could be a whole episode where we actually had a psychologist on to talk about the psychology of Kickstarter. Right. But Ultimately, though, I think it's important to keep in mind looking at Kickstarter in the right way. You're, it's not a store. We talked about that many times in season oh, yeah. one. Oh, yeah. It's, hmm, that, I think that's the biggest thing to always remind people is it's not a store. You're backing. You are literally backing a project to see it be made. Mm -hmm. and, and another time, like this would have been some form of weird angel investment, right? Where you're, But you're not buying a piece of the company. You're just helping support this guy making his thing and in exchange you're promised that when it's made you get a copy normally and that's the way most of these transactions actually work right you're a producer for a board game essentially is what you're doing <laughs> kind of yeah yeah you know and, and as we learned from the movie and the musical it's great to be a producer it is uh, a great big broadway flop <clears throat> the, there is this whole thing it's like what are you what are you on kickstarter for are you there to support the industry and help it grow I think that's part of mine and your motivations as well, at mm -hmm. least. Some of it's about making sure I I get access to those really cool stuff. Because let's face it, for some of these games, I love the promos you can get off Kickstarter. I love the the special builds and the collector's boxes and the signatures and all the artwork and all that. I love that. Yeah. And, there, and the good thing is, okay, so there is that aspect, yes. I love getting 
those you will never get this outside Kickstarter. Like that mm-hmm. is that is one reason why I'm backing Numenera too at such a high price. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however, but the good thing is a lot of the board game creators will produce those again a like two or three years down the road. Mm-hmm. They'll usually do it again just because it at that point it's no longer an exclusive or there's so many out in the wild or just hey it was a really cool thing we'll do it we'll do it again so you don't always have to back at such a high level no yeah i mean if you don't have confidence in the game and you don't think it's going to be amazing um and you know it's if you see something that you just fall in love with i get backing at a high level but if you just like Oh, this is pretty cool. Look for the look for the base game that you you know level backer right, or the you know base plus bonuses if there's something like that. Don't don't just scroll to the bottom and start from there, right? And I, I know I've made this mistake a few times. I think you might have to maybe. Nope, I've never made that mistake. Okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, no, seriously, I don't I don't go from the bottom and scroll up. Actually, the first thing I do when I see a Kickstarter, if I'm super interested, like I have to have this game or I have to back it, the mm-hmm. first thing I actually do is I scroll. And not all Kickstarters do this, but I I scroll to the list that tells me exactly what the pledges get so that I have an understanding. Yeah, all the the nice pictures and stuff like that. Before I back. So if I scroll down and for like $750, you get everything signed, dated, collector stamp, certificates of authenticity, all that jazz. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, scroll back up to the top and let's go back through. But I'm never, I never go to the bottom of the list and scroll back up. I actually start at the top and go until I'm like, okay, that is an acceptable amount of money for the acceptable amount of loot that I'm willing to spend. That's how I usually do it. So yeah, and I, I was using the whole scroll, scroll to the bottom and start there as kind of you know hyperbole. So I was. Are, are you are you sure about that? Because I think that's how you do it. Uh, no, I actually do it very similar to you. I, I go to the, I, I try to find the pretty pictures that break down what is in each package because the text descriptions generally suck. They use terms that don't make any sense and all this other stuff. Cause unless you, unless you've read the entire article anyway. And so I try to find, to scroll down to the pretty pictures that show me the boxes that I'd be getting for how much money. <laughs> they say this is not the final one. Like, Oh, as long as it's close. Yeah. Yeah. As long as, as long as I can see like, Oh, I'm getting the base game and three expansions. Okay. It is pretty interesting to see how there's this growing trend of games being built with expansions from day one uh, and selling them and selling them piecemeal like that. I, it almost it almost reminds me of the DLC trend that we faced several years ago in uh, in video games. You mean the season pass that we all get teased with when a game is coming out? Yeah, that, that's what that's evolved into, right? Is you yeah. you know you you can buy the game for fifty bucks for thirty dollars more, you get the next five expansions. Yeah, and that. You know, I, I think that's an interesting thing. I don't know if I want to try to pronounce judgment on it just yet. The other thing I think is really interesting, I've noticed there are some games that don't ever get distributed after the Kickstarter. Mm, sometimes. It's all. It's usually because, A, they're doing a print run only inside their little company, mm-hmm. or they have never... They, they don't know how to bridge that gap. Yeah, they have... Yeah, they haven't sold it to a distributor, but I mean, they're, I mean, more and more lately, that's not really a problem. I don't know. I saw it. I can't remember the, I can't remember the game uh, as, as people know from last episode, I'm great with names. can't remember the game it was, but there was a game not that long ago mm-hmm. that had the, um, that I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And then I went to go try to find it to buy and they're like, yeah, uh, it was a Kickstarter exclusive. Like the whole game was a Kickstarter exclusive. They didn't make any real extra copies. 
They didn't do that. They said they might do another Kickstarter for a print run too in a year or two. And that was all they were doing. Interesting. And so I, I, I've seen that at least a few times recently. And I wonder if that's going to be another trend we see for these people who are, I don't know if that's more of like the hobbyist game devs that are doing that kind of thing where they aren't interested in trying to turn it into a big full-time business. They just want to, they have an idea. They want to make their game and put it in some people's hands, you know, kind of thing. Um, maybe I don't, I guess I, I guess that's, um, I don't see that happening. I guess overall, I don't think it's going to become like this huge trend in, in the board game world because they're, especially with people like Asmodi or any of the big people like helping out indies more and more by helping, I mean, buying, um, <laughs> I, I, I guess I don't see it because there will like, there's always going to be conventions. Um, I think there are, sure, there are probably some companies that is a Kickstarter exclusive and that's it. It's a one-time run, one-time deal. And that might either because that could be because of financials, right? Like it could be like, oh, we only have enough to do this. We don't have enough in the in the bank to do another run. It would cost us. Because that's how like, uh, was it Millennium Blades was, is Millennium Blades, they only had enough to do the first run. Then they did Kickstarter for the second run. And now I think it's just, now they've sold it. And so it just is in print or they have enough money after the second run to keep printing. Um, because at least the expansions are being printed pretty quickly, and I've seen it now in game shops pretty regularly. So I'm assuming that they've they've gotten the funding to keep going. But I don't see that being like this thing that happens fairly regularly. Yeah, I guess we'll you know only time will tell. I think the it's still exciting because even though we've been having this Kickstarter phenomenon for what five six years now for for board games maybe longer the impact I think is still un, undetermined on what it's going to look like five, six years from now. So it's, it's interesting to see how it progresses. Cause right now, I mean, it's like the way, unless you're working at one of the big, big studios or you have an established company, any, even a lot of the established companies use Kickstarter to launch new games anyway for publicity. But the, it's like, you know, if, uh, if I wanted to make a game, like how else would I do it? Right. You know, I would go to, I would, make my demos and hopefully make a good game. And then I put it on Kickstarter, right? That's just, <laughs> that's the way you do it. That's, that's the yeah. recipe to the board game success. And, yeah. um, as, as, as overly simplified as that is, it's, it's going to be interesting what it looks like in five years, I think. Well, I mean, that's our industry in general. I mean, we've been growing so much over and over again, you know, every year we get bigger and bigger and bigger. So it'll be very, very interested, interesting to see the next, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. I think I just wanted to bring up that little thing because it kind of segued off of what we were talking about earlier. And, mm-hmm. you know, just keep in mind what Kickstarter is for, guys. You know, it's it's not about pre-ordering. You don't have to buy the most expensive package. Buy the games you think look awesome. Support the creators you want to support. Stay within your means. And remember, most of all, that you are backing a project. You are not buying a project. Technically, projects like anything else, especially in a startup world can fail and you may be screwed. Yeah. There's some that I backed a long time ago that never showed up and I doubt they ever will. Although there was one that did show up and I'm like, after trying to play it, I'm like, I kind of wish this hadn't because I have to figure out what to do with it. Could, uh, could you just not? Yeah. No, very true. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it, you're taking a gamble. It's like an investment, you know, it's, it's not going to pan out every time. It may not even pan out most of the time with how many games there are out there now. But um, I think it's a good thing it exists. As always, thank you for joining us for another episode of Epic Turn. You can 
follow us and subscribe to us on iTunes. Also, we love seeing ratings and comments, so please leave some. If you do not want to follow the show, you can always follow us. I'm at Telshin. I'm at Kilton. But anyway, until next time, everybody, have a good evening. And uh, we hope to see you next time for another epic turn. Peace, guys. But yeah, I I, I tend to enjoy... Oh, man, I just... Will, you're going to have to cut a little bit. I'm sitting here stuttering. Not, not, Not to mention the whole swearing thing. I just want him to eat a dude in a park that's walking around.